What's up, everybody? Hello, hello, hello. Oh, my goodness. Happy Monday, week three of December. A super stellar week with meteor showers happening and a comet and just so much, so much cool stuff. Um, I hope you're doing well. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Uh, whatever time zone you're in, wherever you are listening to this, I hope you are having a fabulous day or nighttime if you're having a fabulous evening with hopefully clear skies and hopefully you can catch um, some of the celestial events that we've got lined up this week or I guess we don't really have it lined up because we don't have control over what uh, objects are seen in the night sky but you know well I guess to an extent we do if we end up having too much light pollution um, or other type of pollution that might eventually obstruct our view so in a way I guess we do kind of have control over what we see in the night sky uh, so I hope you're doing well. Um, once again, happy Monday. My name is Athena Brensberger. I am the host of Space Talk here on the Colin app. Um, I hope that while I was playing that intro music, I wasn't breathing too heavily into the microphone because it's like about an inch away from my face. So <laughs> hopefully that was good. But otherwise, I will just remove that in the edit. Uh, I'm loving this app, by the way. Um, if anyone here is a listener who uh, hadn't used this app before Space Talk, um, I hope you're enjoying it as well. And maybe you can start doing some of your own podcasting, which would be awesome. And we can do a collab, which would be really, really fun sometime. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have not yet caught the comet. Um, I'm, I'm not much of an early riser anymore since I've moved to down south good old Texas. Um, I definitely take advantage of just like the dark skies at night here. So I tend to stay up later at night to do some of my observations. Um, so I'm not really getting up early as much anymore. So I'm probably going to be in the category of stargazers who are going to catch the comet uh, after December 16th when it starts to become visible in the evening. So if you're just listening to this and you haven't heard the other podcasts from, um, I think it was uh, last week sometime, I believe it was episode five or four. Uh, it was titled Comet Leonard, also known as C2021A1. Uh, you can go listen to that episode to kind of find out where exactly you can catch the comet, depending on where you're located. So we've got some really cool things to get into uh, this week. I also plan to catch uh, the Geminids tonight. 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 Everyone say it with me, tonight. Really important. <laughs> Late tonight, early tomorrow morning, uh, the Geminids peak. So in the Gemini constellation, this is where the radiant of the meteor shower is located, which means the highest concentration of meteors that are visible at any given point. And they happen to be in the center of the Gemini constellation. This is why they're named the Geminids meteor shower. And so uh, that's, that's peaky tonight. So really, really exciting. I highly recommend staying up late for that. Or going to bed early and setting an alarm for like 2 a.m. local time. So wherever you're based in, in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, the Southern Hemisphere, you can also get up at 2 a.m. But I would say like kind of the later, the better. 3 to 4 a.m. is the sweet spot in actually both hemispheres. Because that's when the waxing gibbous moon is almost like past uh, our, our line of sight. It should be just starting to creep behind the... Let's look at my sky chart behind the west horizon by that point. Um, so it's just start setting. So that is, a, I would recommend that time. Otherwise, if you do observe a little earlier, 
that moon might be a little bit bright and kind of obstruct any view of the meteors. So I recommend that, but definitely getting up late tonight. Um, again, if you want to find out about like where exactly it's going to be located, I recommend you listen to that other episode or go to skyandtelescope.org and make your own star chart. I love these sky charts. They're so handy. They're so great. I actually just bought a calendar for the entire year of sky charts that I think is just for the Northern Hemisphere. So I, I'm so excited. These things are so great. And uh, if maybe it's new to you and you don't exactly know how to use it, let me know. I will. I would love to do an episode kind of explaining how to, how to use it and navigate. Um, to me, it's straightforward, but I understand that if it's something you hadn't looked at before ever in your life, how it can be kind of confusing and not really straightforward. So uh, just let me know. I'd love to do that. But that's enough. I'm not going to go too, detail, too detailed into uh, the meteor shower because we did cover that. Uh, but what I want to do is get into astronomy word of the week. So let's get on some music for that. Astronomy word of the week. I always love to include this um, every week. I kind of wish that my astronomy classes had this included in our uh, semester, um, but probably not because you learned so many of these terms throughout the entire semester. So you're learning like several astronomy words of the week, I guess. Um, but I find this to be really helpful doing one at a time. I typically will use a word or term used in the field of astronomy. Very rarely, I will use a word or term used in just space in general, including rocket science. And so um, this week, what I included in my weekly newsletter known as the weekly transmission is the word nominal. Also coming from the term systems nominal. If anyone has caught any rocket launch, uh, specifically maybe a SpaceX launch, you'll, you'll hear it in, I think, almost every launch, but kind of depending on, on which launch it is, where it's launching from, it might be in a different language like French or Russian or Chinese or, or what else is there? Or, in, or uh, um, well, I guess English. Yeah, English, there's, there's a ton of languages out there, but nominal. Uh, it's a frequent term used in rocket science during a launch. Uh, it's said to, basically to let everyone know that functions are performing as expected. Think normal um, or as the everyday astronaut has on his merch, normal. So pretty funny. Um, shout out to everyday astronaut. Super, super cool. Tim is awesome. Love stuff he makes. If you don't know about him, then you are not watching rocket launches properly. You've got to watch one of it, M multiple, not just one of his live streams, like all of his live streams when he covers launches. It's just the best thing ever. Um, and so nominal, really important to use. I've started overusing the term in just my everyday lives um, for like anything. So that is that. So now moving back into some of our must-see celestial events this week, as I mentioned, you have that uh, waxing gibbous moon during the meteor shower. But near the end of the week, on December 18th, it's going to move into the full moon phase. That's going to be at approximately 11.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's when it reaches its fullness of the full moon. Um, and that makes for a really beautiful uh, view, I would say, of several different alignments that happen. As I was checking out my sky chart, um, and I was sort of putting, I was charting all this information for this week, I noticed a really cool alignment between Aldebaran in the constellation Taurus, the full moon, 
we're getting close to the full moon and then the Pleiades. Now, keep in mind, because that moon is bright, uh, you won't be able to see the Pleiades with the unaided eye, but you should be able to see it with um, a pair of binoculars or a telescope. The Pleiades is a beautiful open star cluster. Um, also is the logo of the car brand Subaru. Subaru in Japanese actually means, I believe, the seven sisters. And the Pleiades is for the seven sisters, the seven stars that are most visible in that cluster. Although I do believe it's like, uh, there's like plus or minus two or three extra stars that are there. So uh, it's not exactly seven, but that's what it, when it was named the Pleiades when uh, the most advanced optical telescopes we had were able to just see um, seven stars in this cluster. But it's going to be really cool. So it passes through Taurus. Uh, this is on December 16th. Um, so it's going to look, I would say, like pretty, pretty awesome that you're going to want to face southeast. This will be about 45 minutes after sunset. So it's going to be pretty low on the horizon. But as it starts to move up and it starts to rise, you have the Taurus constellation rising. You start to see that bright star Aldebaran, the alpha of the constellation. It's another terminology in, in Greek, Greek terms used all over astronomy, used all over physics. Um, alpha, the alpha star is the brightest of that constellation. So the Alpha Tauri, I believe is what it's called. Uh, and that if there's like the Alpha Gemini, so which is the brightest star of the Gemini constellation, and then you have Beta, and it continues on and on. But we can get into that another time. It's really kind of cool how uh, a good way to keep in mind which the brightest stars are of each constellation. And then a final reminder of a planet that is visible all month in the early morning sky over your southeast horizon is Mars. The red planet. So you should be able to see this. Um, it's at a magnitude of 1.6. So we are, it's within our, our line of sight. We, we can see it without a telescope. And we can see it without binoculars. So it is visible in the early morning sky all month long. So if you want to go ahead and catch the red planet, you can do that. We're going to do a real quick musical break and then get into the deep sky object that's visible this week. This is a really beautiful one that's visible. Okay, what a perfect time in the song, right? As it's building up and it's building up to a super awesome deep sky object that's visible this week. Um, so I am so excited for this. I hope that you all will be able to see this. Um, it is something known as NGC 1981. It's an open star cluster in Orion's sword. So if you can find the Orion constellation, which is not too tough to find, um, this will be just over your eastern horizon as it rises. 
just after sunset. So during twilight, so I'd recommend about 45 minutes to an hour after sunset, you'll start to see Orion rising up in the sky. My ultimate favorite constellation. I think it's probably the favorite constellation of every astronomer I've ever met, um, but it's just because it's so cool looking. And, and it has so many other factors to it. I mean, the Orion Nebula, um, the image I'm actually looking at right now is the star cluster and the Orion Nebula imaged together, which is just super cool. Um, go Google that later. Such a great sight to see. And it, what's really cool about this is it's seen from both the North and the South Hemisphere. So both hemispheres are able to catch this open star cluster. It's visible December 15th. And for the Northern Hemisphere, it's going to be rising at around 8 17 p.m. and it'll only be about 18 degrees above your eastern horizon so at this point um only if you're at a higher altitude will you probably be able to see it because you know it might be obstructed by trees or buildings or whatever else is there unless you're on a rooftop or on a high hill um otherwise just wait till it reaches highest point it'll reach its highest point later in the night around 12 31 a.m It'll be about 51 degrees and now above your southern horizon. So the later you watch it, the more it's going to move across the sky. And you can see it as it crosses over the southern horizon. So uh, once again, NGC 1981, the open star cluster at Orion's sword of the Orion constellation. Um, and for the northern hemisphere, Either you can start seeing it as it rises at about 8.17 p.m. local time, uh, only 18 degrees above your eastern horizon, or wait till it reaches its highest point at about 12.31 a.m. when it reaches 51 degrees above your southern horizon. Uh, another reminder before I get into southern the southern hemisphere is talking about degrees, this this uh, this thing of measurement that we use in astronomy. I've talked about it in previous episodes. Always keep your fist in mind. If you hold out your fist at arm's length for the average adult arm length and the average adult size of a fist is going to be approximately 10 degrees from the bottom of your fist to the top of your knuckles. And so if you hold it up on the horizon, that's zero degrees going up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. That's where NGC 1981, this open star cluster will be visible. And then 60, 70, 80, 90 is directly overhead. So just keep that in mind because that's a right, right angle right there. 90 degrees directly overhead. And not sure if anyone remembers what directly overhead means, uh, what the term is that we use in astronomy, but it is zenith. The zenith is what's directly uh, on top of the observer. So now for the Southern Hemisphere. If anyone's in the Southern Hemisphere, by the way, if you can, in the bottom right of your app, send me maybe a hat emoji or a smiley face or a thumbs up so I can see if any of my callers here are in the Southern Hemisphere. I know that some of you are already in the Northern Hemisphere because we did that that check last, last episode. All right, cool. So I haven't got any emojis yet for the Southern Hemisphere. So in that case, I'll still go over it in case anyone listens to this podcast afterwards, which usually is the case. So for the Southern Hemisphere... It's going to start rising later, about 10 p.m., and it will be about 31 degrees above your eastern horizon. Always remember, the, most of the constellations, you're going to see them rising from your eastern horizon because the sun on the opposite side is setting in the western horizon. And so 
This is where you'll start to see the sky darkening and stars will become more visible for your eyes as Earth is turning as well. We are starting to see those constellations that are visible this time of year. So let's see. Now also keep in mind reaching its highest point is going to be later. The later, the better. At about 1.43 a.m., it reaches its highest point at 60 degrees above your northern horizon. So for everyone in the southern hemisphere, if you want to catch this gorgeous open star cluster in the sword of the Orion constellation, wait until about 1.43 a.m. It'll be 60 degrees above your northern horizon. All right, so that is our deep sky object that is visible this week. I hope you get to catch that. I also hope you get to catch Mars in the early morning sky. The comet, of course, is is reaching max visibility um, as it just closes in on the month. Um, it's becoming more and more bright as it's approaching. It just made its closest approach to Earth yesterday. So this comet just made its closest approach to Earth yesterday. It is now on its way to Venus and we'll be able to see that gorgeous uh, alignment. We're going to see some really cool images soon, probably from astrophotographers of Venus and this comet. And so around the 16th to the 18th, we're going to see that. And then the comet is going closer to perihelion, which is the closest point to the sun in its orbit, which will be on January 3rd. So as it approaches, it's, it's going to look relatively brighter. So before we get into space history, I'm going to do one more music break and then we will pick it up. Okay, let's get into space history for this week. Uh, we've got, so I put three events in my transmission here, but I'm going to go ahead and walk with you guys through my studio. I might get a little echoey to try and grab my handy dandy sky and telescope magazine because I believe there are a few other events that I might have missed this week. So let's get into first what I wrote down in my transmission. Starting with tomorrow, December 14th in the year 1962 was when Mariner 2 made its first flyby of Venus. This was the first ever flyby of any spacecraft to the planet Venus. So tomorrow, if you're going to maybe have a glass of wine, just, you know, cheers your neighbor to Mariner 2, which made its first flyby of Venus back in 1962. Then on December 15th in 1965, Gemini 6 made the first rendezvous with Gemini 7. This included astronauts Walter Shira and Thomas Strafford. They both were on board. And then moving into December 15th, in 1970, Venera 7 made the first soft landing and return 
of signals from Venus. Nothing had sent back signals from Venus before. So this was a really, really exciting time. Imagine being around December 15th in 1970, that there was not only a spacecraft that had a soft landing on Venus, probably didn't actually survive that long because it's so hot on Venus. I bet some of the uh, the engineering, the infrastructure, and the mechanics of it probably ended up not doing too well um, after probably only an hour, but I'll look that up and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but this was, this was such a big deal. It sent back the first signals from Venus. Um, so that, that was really exciting. And let's see here. Okay, we do have a couple other events that I found here in my handy-dandy magazine, and they are astronomical discoveries. So tomorrow on December 14th in year 1546, 1546, y'all, that's crazy. Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe was born. So um, Tycho Brahe, we, we can do a whole history on, on that guy as well. Um, big contributions to astronomy. Uh, we, we'll get into him in, in another episode. We could get, maybe get into, sorry, just brush the mic. If maybe we get into uh, some more historical figures in astronomy, maybe that'll be its, its own episode, actually. Historical figures in astronomy. That will probably end up having to be its own series. I'm thinking of starting some series as well here on Space Talk. So as you all know, every Monday, the start of the week, I always cover what events you can catch. Um, astronomy word of the week, what histor historical events happen, and the phase of the moon. So that's a series in itself. Maybe we can do a series of um, astronomical figures. Uh, so that would, that would be really fun. Then on December 15th, Caroline Herschel. So the Herschels, they, they were comet hunters. They were just so cool. They ended up discovering a ton of objects. Caroline Herschel discovered Comet Herschel. known as This was in 1791. So December 15th, 1791, she discovers Comet named Comet Herschel. Um, also, it's a uh, little uh, kind of, it's catalog name is C1791X1. If you remember, uh, Comet Leonard is also called C2021A1. So keep that in mind when it comes to cataloging objects. Then on December 19th, closing the week off, William Herschel, Caroline Herschel's husband, I believe it was her husband. I think they were they were a couple. Let me just double check that because I know their children went on to become comet hunters as well. William and Caroline Herschel. Just Googling this, y'all, real quick. Um, let's see. Yes. All right. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, John Herschel furthered the work of his father, William, and Aunt Caroline. They were brother and sister. I knew there was something a little bit different there. I wanted to make sure that they weren't, they weren't married. So, um, and then John Herschel, Sir John Her Herschel, um, then followed the work of his father, William, and his Aunt Caroline. Uh, so there we go. There's some history. Anyway, let's get back to what they discovered. William Herschel discovered the galaxy pair NGC 3166 and NGC 3169 in sect, sextons. So let's actually look this up real quick. What do you think? And I want to actually ask a caller to come on. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you first. What, what do you think he means, or this, this actually this magazine means by a galaxy pair? And we have NGC 3166 and NGC 3169. I guess it's pretty straightforward. Uh, a galaxy pair 
I guess it's, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, but I want to open this up to the callers. If anyone wants to come on, maybe share what you think, not only that might mean, but, um, give me some, like some details, like really think it through. How do you think they became a pair? What do you think led to that? Um, I'd love to open up the conversation. If anyone wants to join, you could tap the button down below in the bottom right. I opened this episode. I've actually had, had all the episodes open to any callers. So if you want to join the chat as a listener and then become a caller, go ahead and call on it. I am going to play some music. This is your chance. If you want to join, I'd love to chat with you. Otherwise... I'll give a quick brief. All right. Looks like we got a caller right as the music changed to a song that is not Space Talk. Okay. Mario, hello. Welcome back. How you doing? Hello. Cold, mostly, but whatever. Hi. Oh, no. Is it? Yeah. Winter, winter blues, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can handle it. Nice. So thoughts on the Galaxy Pair NGC 3166 and 3169? I, I'm assuming, maybe, I'm guessing that when they mean pair of galaxies, they're thinking about it like how us, the Monkey Way and Andromeda, are in a galaxy merging process. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's what they mean by galaxy pair, maybe. Yes, so they are in the merging process. So they are actually not that far of us. They're also located in the local group. But yeah, they're gravitationally bound. You're completely correct. This the Andromeda, do you, do you want to share a little bit of info on, on Andromeda? Anything that you know? Oh, I know it's visible from Earth. And I yeah, which is pretty nice. And you were saying that yeah. it um it's on a on a path to merge with us. So what yes, you explain yes, that a little bit? It's close enough. Well, it's close enough to us that our centers of gravity are actually attracting each other. But it's, I'm, it's talk, I'm talking billions of years. And yeah. also, one, also, it's a great example to show how just how the scales of vastness in the universe, because people think, oh, they're going to merge. Oh, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, they're thinking like a car accident. It's going to absolutely obliterate, you know, everything. But no, but the distances between stars you know, and objects in any in, in the universe are so vast that it's very unlikely any, anything will happen. Yeah. yeah, I love that you said that. So uh, what Mario's talking about is the stars won't collide with each other. Most of the time, they're going to just pass between each other because there's so much empty space um, located within the galaxy. So as it merges, yeah, it's not going to be this huge cataclysmic event, um, although it might be in some regions, but most most likely um, a lot of the stars found in both galaxies will go unaffected. The most that's going to happen is they'll pull, they'll get pulled in slowly over millions of years. Also, as Mario said, which is super cool. Um, well, that's, that's awesome. Well, Mario, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing that. Do you want to share anything else? Uh, no, no. Alrighty. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. If anyone else wants to call in, um, you can do that now if you'd like. And otherwise, I am going to play a little bit of music to exit this moment.
I got a few more things to say before we end the today's episode. And it has to do with these galaxy mergers. Um, I love what Mario was saying about just the vastness of space and also the longevity in which it takes things to travel throughout the universe. Um, to give you a little bit of perspective, I just did a quick kind of kind of Googling here. Um, but the two galaxies found in the sextons are not only neighbors of each other and within something called the local group, which is you and me and the Andromeda galaxy, which is going to collide with our galaxy in, in millions of years from now. So totally cool there. Um, and that's the Milky Way and Andromeda. But we're all part of a galaxy cluster known as the local group. So we're all bound by each other's gravi gravity. Our gravitational effect is so strong that we're all closely bound to each other. And get this, both galaxies have a total of around 200 million times the mass of the sun. So just picture 200 million suns. And that is... The, the, the very two galaxies, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. it it's, a, it's a really, really big number. And um, I think doing an episode two also on, on the perspectives and the, the, the scale of things in the universe is really cool. Um, but that is just so phenomenal to think about um, at just these two galaxies. And so once they combine, they go through this gorgeous cosmological dance where they're intertwining and, and you see stretching and pulling. I mean, really picture it or, or look up later a galaxy simulation of two collisions, two galaxies colliding. It's kind of beautiful. And the reason astronomers know this, when, when you're like, hey, Athena, like this, you just said this takes millions of years. How do astronomers even know this happens? It's because with the telescopes we currently have today, we can see so far out into the universe that we're seeing galaxies that formed billions of years ago, and a lot of them look kind of crazy. They don't have a strong structure. They're kind of irregular shape, hence they're called irregular galaxies. And there's also, we're also able to see galaxies that are currently merging. So ones that are currently starting to get pulled in by each other. And there's something so beautiful about astronomy and the cosmic perspective. It's that we see birth, life, and death all over the cosmos. With our telescopes, with observing the night sky, we're seeing stars that are being born. We're seeing like galaxies that are, are currently living like ours, and, and it's, it's currently on its own process right now. And then we're seeing the death of stars. We're seeing the death of galaxies by colliding with others. Um, but I think the perspective here is interesting because I would argue maybe it's not a death at all. Maybe it's a transformation into its next stage. And maybe having two stars colliding or two galaxies colliding, this is actually part of the whole recycling process of our universe. And on that note, I just really encourage all of you to look up at the night sky tonight with hopefully clear skies and just think about that. And just think about how maybe that can tie into your own ultimate reality to those around you and to um, maybe your, your closest loved ones, family, friends, a partner, and think about that on, on a universal scale. Because I think this is a really important reason why we are curious human beings, why we adventure out, why we explore 
and of course why we um don't stop we never we continue um to build new telescopes to build new rockets to go to space because that is like the biggest land of the unknown <laughs> and so uh, that's that's about everything i got that that just philosophical moment just came out of nowhere i don't know where <laughs> that came from but that's that's how i feel and um that's why i love this stuff that's why i think astronomy is important so on that note um that wraps up everything for this episode talking about all the things you have to look forward to seeing this week in the night sky i hope you all catch the meteor shower tonight and i hope you all catch the comet sometime by January 3rd. Um, if you are wondering how you can see it, check out one of our previous episodes. Um, I have one about how you can find Comet Leonard, whether in the Northern or Southern Hemisphere, and then also how you can catch the meteor shower from both the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. Alrighty. Well, once again, thank you guys so much. And until next time, add Astra. <laughs>